Welcome back, everyone, to this week's episode of Jack Howard's Color the Podcast. Today's guest is Tom Connell. Tom's joining us from London. Very busy at the moment. Welcome, Tom. Hey, Jack. Thanks for the invite. Glad to be here. So, Tom, your career has led you to this point in your life where you're the Davines Artistic Hair Director. Mm-hmm. But you started off in Manchester. Your parents owned a salon, yeah? Yeah, yeah. They owned uh, a salon in, in Greater Manchester in a town called Wigan. And that's where it all began for you. So you, from a very early age, you were surrounded by hair. Yeah, as, as from as, from as uh, old or young as I can remember, I was running around the salon, you know, going to the salon after school, doing my homework in the staff room, that type of thing. And then when I, uh, I suppose, kind of became aware enough that I wanted money for trainers and football boots and things like that, my, my dad said, OK, if you want pocket money, you're going to have to work in the salon. And that's kind of uh, how how I first kind of got into, I suppose, the the world of it beyond just my parents having a salon. Right. And so, what age was that then when you started out as a Saturday boy? I mean, I remember sneaking in being a Saturday boy at thirteen. Yeah, is, you know, yeah, thirteen. Yeah, yeah. Child abuse now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Doing the towels, doing the spilling hot coffee on myself and stuff. But it was kind of a, uh, it was good. I like I liked kind of hanging around with. I mean, you've probably seen this yourself. I liked hanging around with the older crowd. I thought it was yeah. kind of a very cool uh, older crowd that I was hanging around with. And it seemed like a, an interesting world beyond what your parents do for a job, which is never cool when you're a kid, is it? But it, it, and uh, how was that for you as a young man at school, saying that you were a Saturday boy in a hair salon and that you wanted possibly to be a hairdresser? How, how was that in that, in that time frame? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you get the kind of the, the, the typical comments, especially kind of a, a, a school in Wigan that was a, a rugby school where you kind of, you know, you, you played rugby or nothing. And, and, and you know, I was, I, I was never really cut out for that side of things. I, I was into more the, the, the clothes, the music, the fashion, the going out with the, the, the older guys that, that, that worked within the salon. So it kind of, I, I suppose, kind of school and, and, and people that was my age I almost felt like they didn't interest in me as much as maybe the people that were two, three, four years older than me that I wanted to be part of that crowd, I suppose. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I always found that. I wanted to hang out with older people. Um, I just thought they were more interesting than my age, yeah. my own age group. And so you started out your career, so obviously you had to be an, a, an apprentice. And you, are you apprenticed with your parents? Yeah, I did a, a short apprentice with my, with my parents. And, and I think my dad could kind of see that I was um, I was interested when it came to training night but the day-to-day kind of salon and my dad's salon that I've been seen that since I was a toddler he could see I was losing a bit of interest in it and and he said you need to uh, you need to go you need to move out from this town and you need to maybe move to say the city center of Manchester and get into a salon that has an artistic team that does photo shoots to see this other sound other other side of the industry so i moved to andrew college uh, in the center of manchester oh wow cool cool yeah and then i kind of that opened my world up to like oh wow people do photo shoots people do stage shows and, and it kind of it, it really intrigued me and it, it became my life you know i, I lived with friends uh, that were also um trainees and assistants within the salon so we all got a student flat in the center of manchester and i suppose that was my university days if you will as you know, staying up too late and being hungover for your uh, training, but but it, they they were great days to look back on now. You know, really immersed Absolute. in yourself. 
Absolutely. There's nothing like um, training and sharing an apartment with other hairdressers, I think. You, you live and breathe it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we'd, we'd go home and we'd be looking at photographs that Tim Hartley had done and sticking them up in our kitchen units and wondering how these things would be created because we didn't have the knowledge to, to know that at that time. But it, it was a very, uh, yeah, it was a very interesting time to, to look back on. I think it's wonderful that your dad had the foresight to kind of say to you, right, you need to you need to leave this. You're too familiar with this. It's too sort of easy on you and it's not testing you and to push you to go in into town into a bigger salon. Yeah, yeah. He 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 kind of saw my my I suppose saw a little bit of ambition and he saw that you know, he I always I always say this that when most parents were telling the or most dads were telling the kids about I don't know, Maradona or Pele. My dad was telling me about Vidal Sassoon and Trevor Sorbet. And, and that, so I was kind of, uh, he romanticized the industry to me from a very young age. So I was like, I want to go and discover all this for myself. And so he, he was very keen on, on pushing me and me not getting settled in my local town. And that's carried through your career a little bit, hasn't it? That not settled because after, after six years in Manchester, you made the leap to come to London, which must have been, well, I know from my own personal experience, I mean, it's so different. Yeah, I mean, where, where are you from? So I'm from, originally from Lincolnshire. Oh, right, yeah, so you kind of done that jump as well, right? Yeah, well, I've done a few jumps since that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you was yeah. America as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. What was that like for you then? I mean, when when, when was that in the time period? So I can kind of put some context. 2009. Okay, so it wasn't that long ago then. No, no, I've been say, 11 years. Yeah, yeah, 11, 11 years. You make the leap to come to London. London, definitely a different city. But also, we were in the middle of a financial crisis, really, that had happened in 2007, 2008. And I came back to London in 2010. And, and salons were still reeling from, mm. from that. Yeah, and it, it, it's, I suppose... That's maybe the one good thing about being skint, right? The financial crisis doesn't necessarily um, <laughs> appear like, adapt, like it doesn't doesn't apply to you because you didn't. Yeah, I, I was coming out of kind of being a stylist for a few years, didn't really have much money, but I knew I knew I wanted to work for Trevor. I, I'd saw him on stage um, do his one man show in Liverpool, and I was like, I want I want to do that, and I want to do it working for him. And and the more I researched and read about him. I knew I needed to 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 kind of I don't know I suppose kind of create the ideas that were in my head. I knew I needed to further my education, and and I liked the eclectic style that he had from you, I don't know using round brushes to using razor to technical haircutting. I liked the fact that that he had this kind of freedom in 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 what his company produced. So I set my sights on that. So I suppose um, I, I was so obsessed and so kind of preoccupied with that's my life and I, I, I don't I don't want to know about anything other than getting this training and becoming in part of this world that had been romanticized to me that I suppose I didn't I don't think I even kind of thought about any any, any recession or anything like that because I was kind of you when you go to Trevor's you start back on almost an assistance wage even though you're a stylist because you're doing your vardering so yes. I was living in a bedsit and and doing that so it was kind of yeah like but and like I said before, looking back, those are the, some of the most carefree, happiest times of your life, aren't they? Because you just it's just your craft and nothing else, right? Nothing else at all in that. And yes, you do. So what was it like for you? So you'd made the leap, you come to London, and then you obviously 
very disciplined and obviously you've got a vision for yourself at that point you had a vision for yourself of where you wanted to go but to go back to be being a grown person to assisting to vardering as mm-hmm. you as you'd like to say how how was that for you on an emotional level um yeah you definitely have those those evenings where you you um you go home and you think how do i how have i ever been hairdressing for so long yes maybe i'm not cut out for this maybe maybe i'm just not good enough because if i've been hairdressing for this long i should be better because that vardering process that six to eight weeks it's really about breaking you down to 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 rebuild you and obviously now through going all the way through and to the point where i was the art director and i was checking people's final test i understand that's just part of the process but when you're in it you, you yeah you do you do question whether this is the right career for you whether this is the and now i watch say a documentary about a michelin star chef and you see those chefs go through the same thing right when the when they're trying to achieve that thing that's impossible which is perfection you think at that time you're trying to achieve it even though you never you never do you uh yeah i remember one time that i, I cut a graduated bob and, and the person used more sections to check it than i'd used to cut it which <laughs> isn't a good start to cutting a graduated bob but yeah it, it, that that process is so invaluable that eight weeks is 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 life-changing in your career absolutely and i you know people often talk about that they don't want to go through those kind of experiences and then but it sounds like a cliche, but it's in those moments that your biggest growth is, I find. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That kind of, that that difficulty that you're going through, it's kind of, it, that's what's changing you, right? You know, that 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 thing of, you know, I suppose if you, I don't know, if you listen to anyone that's 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 done something in, in with the, the career or their art or, or whatever, or a sports person, that, that it was always at those times where they, they felt like oh, I'm going to have to give this up, that they were just on the cusp of making like a little breakthrough. Yes. Um, yeah. So lo- some tears, but lots of joy. Yeah. 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 Definitely a lot of joy when you finally pass your, your final presentation. Yeah, totally. And then of course you're on the salon floor in mm-hmm. Covent Garden. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then you begin, you kind of feel like you've cracked it when you pass your test and, and whoever tells you you've got the, the job, but then, the real work starts to be like passing your driving test, right? You pass your driving test and then you'll start learning to drive when, yes. you, when you're in the car and it's, you know, you, you're dealing with different clients and, you know, it's, it was a real, um, and people are paying a lot of money when they come to that salon. So quite rightly, they, 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 they have a high expectation. So then it's, I think it's about at that point, it's kind of, and I always try and teach this when, when I'm, when I'm speaking to, to, to students or doing any education, it's you can, you can fall into a trap of, sticking to the things you know work so you don't get any complaints but then your day becomes very repetitive and it must become very repetitive for your clients and i don't necessarily think i think a good i think a few redos or complaints or whatever you would call them are the best hairdressers that i've ever worked with have had the most clients come back because they were willing to to try things and i listened to one of your podcasts a few weeks ago with uh luke hersherson and i I think think he said people are paying for an opinion and I thought that was quite a nice way to put it. Yeah, I was just thinking of Luke in that because he he said that he encouraged his team not to do, you know, this hair dusting and a simple cut, but to actually give somebody a change and yeah, to yeah. sort of promote that. Um, because, of course, that's what we're there for in many ways. Mm. But the sort of visceral reactions from either the boss or from the, the client who's not happy 
with a change puts a lot of people off, but it, I think it, it inhibits our industry. I, I totally, I totally agree with you, and I thought that was re- a really interesting conversation that you that you both have because the the the, the I can almost remember the time that I made the switch, where I went from from taking like a very educational based approach, and I I went from being owned by my techniques to owning my techniques, and and sometimes I'll, I'll hear people say. Like, okay, I, I have a graduated bobbin next and then my lady at three o'clock is having a long layers and then I have a half head highlights and then I have a balayard. Well, they haven't walked through the door yet. So let's, let's not start talking about your techniques. They're your techniques that are in your tool belt, but what, you know, maybe they've been on holiday and they just need a little bit of darkening around the face and they don't need anything yeah. else. Maybe they, the fringe has grown out and they just need it widening slightly. And that's all you need to do with the haircut, but you but you can be transformative. And it, it was almost like I started to think of like trying to think of as, as a designer solving design problems rather than just application of technique. And I think any designer, whether you design this computer that we're, that we're doing this Zoom on or you're designing a building or a color or a cut, every designer has a brief from a client Every designer has a material to work with, a budget, a time limit to achieve that. And then you use your skills and your creativity to kind of solve that design problem. And the second I started thinking like that, my days became like so much more enjoyable because I wasn't going in going, well, I've got 10 clients today. I'm going in saying, I'm just doing 10 design problems. And it might take me 15 minutes or it might take me two hours to do each one. I just don't know. But and it's like quite like a rewarding way to, have you de- like spend your time? I think when I did it like that, I like the way you put that. I always talk about the technical and the feeling, and I like yeah. obviously you need the technical to mm-hmm. create, but I feel like when a, a, a woman's in front of me, that it's about the feeling that you create, and yes. and that's in the placement and the vision and how you see. It. And so it it might have a similar sectioning pattern, but it's not cookie cutter. Yeah, yeah, and then 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 you're your client, I suppose, w- w- with yourself and, and, and other people like that are paying for your mind, not your hands. Because yes. your hand, if you pay for your hands, you can be replaced, right? Because everyone's got, you know, a lot of people can do a straight line, a lot of people can do balayage, but if they're paying for your mind and your taste, and as you said on the other podcast, your opinion, then you could never be replaced. Right. The eye. The eye is what yeah, I, yeah. I, always say to, I always say to the youngsters that it's that you can't replicate nobody else can do your eye it's your vision on there mm-hmm. everyone can sort of do the basics mm-hmm. and but then it's where you take it yeah yeah and it's 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 a rewarding way to work as well isn't it then because well you, it's freeing isn't it yeah you suddenly, it's lovely. You, yeah you're free and it no longer becomes the grind of yes. 10 12 14 whatever it is you do a day it it becomes enjoyable because it's a different process for every single person that's in front of you yeah, yeah. And I think that's how you have uh, longevity is in, and I don't mean longevity is in like a long career with many clients. I mean, longevity is in just enjoying your job for the amount of time that you do it in your life, which is probably yeah. the whole point of it, right? Yeah, I mean, so many hairdressers get burnout. And I think mm-hmm. it's because they do exactly that. They they see it as 10 clients, 10 balayages, 10 highlights, 10 haircuts, 10 bobs, whatever. And they don't see the person in front of them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's an interesting one, isn't it? I think that could be a whole podcast. Yeah, yeah, design problems. Just... Yeah. Oh, even better. You've given me a title. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. 
So you're on the floor and you have this epiphany where it changes for you. So mm -hmm. from the technical to the design, yeah. as you call it, um, which is brilliant. That's so lovely to hear. And you become art director for Trevor. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, because, of course, you know, Trevor's one of the interesting things I think about Trevor Sorbet is, and I know, you know, John Spanson's a mate of mine and stuff like that. And uh, it's like they're a commercial salon mm -hmm. group that do commercial stuff. But then suddenly they've got this like fantastic art team that do stuff that sort of pushes boundaries. And he, Trevor, Trevor and the company have been able to do that since the 70s, since the wedge. Mm. That was, I think, the first time I sort of noticed him was when that mm -hmm. wedge came out. I mean, I had a wedge down here, you know. <laughs> um, and color-wise, too. They can challenge you with their collections in their color. Yet within the salon, there's great technical work going on as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's that. That's been the kind of um, the 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 great thing that, that they've always been able to strike the balance of between the kind of commercial and the. I don't really like using the word creative because commercial hairdressing is very creative as well. But yes, it's, it, it's I don't know the conceptual and the commercial. Let's call it. And and I think there's Tre Trevor has always understood there's a place for both. You know, there's there's a place for the things that's going to serve the clients to build a really really healthy um profitable salon group but then also he understands to attract the best hairdressers there has to be um a creative progression within that side of things so those two things um and i think that's why probably they've been so strong for so many years because it isn't done for like commercial gain it's done for the love of it yeah you know that it's not done for we're going to create this collection because we want to sell a lot of education to it's done because, well, the commercial salon group is where the money comes from. This is just done because we love it and it attracts the great hairdressers that want to, to, to work there. So I think that's the, the, free, uh, free, the freedom creates the creativity. And how was it for you going, going from, so obviously you must have been on the art team before you became the art director. Yeah, or did yeah. you just make that, uh, making the leap, the transition from on the floor Mm -hmm. where you're really comfortable with yourself at this point, mm -hmm. then going into something that, again, really just pushes you because it's different, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, on stage is different. The the images are different. How how was that for you? Um, yeah, it, it was exciting. I, I went to a couple of her shows and I, I kind of enjoyed them, but I felt like there was maybe, uh, I felt like there was a different way to do them. Um, but you can say that. But can you can you do it right? You know, it's a lot. A lot of people say those things. So I thought, oh, okay. How can I show that to Trevor? So I decided to um, create my own show. So I hired a theatre in Chelsea, and I, I shot a collection and created invites and invited a lot of people from the industry and press and just put my own hair show on, um, just for to 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 kind of to see to myself whether I could do it in a, in a slightly different way, the way that was in my head. And to show Trevor that that I was serious about becoming an art team member and, and moving on, and, and he was really blown away by it. And, and as a result of that, I, I became I got we developed a young art team, and I became the the art the the kind of art director of the young art team. And then a few years later, became the the kind of full art director of the the whole company. But it was down to that first show that kind of got my foot in the door. Type of thing. And so, and what I like about that is that you you just got on and did that yourself. 
a lot of people would just sit back and be waiting for it to be passed to them. Whereas you decided, no, this is, I'm going to try this out and I'm going to invite some people to it. So you took a huge risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially kind of financial at that time in your career. You know, you don't, you don't, when you're first kind of getting your foot on the salon floor, you know, you're not, you're still making your way up the, the, the ladder. So yeah, it was, it was a huge risk, but it was just so enjoyable. And, you know, I keep saying it, I, I can go back to that now and look at it and like, wow, that was one of the most exciting shows because we didn't know what we were doing. You know, I was with some of my friends from my, that, that worked at Trevor Sorby that were helping me put it together. And none of us had ever put a show together in, um, I remember we spoke to the, the lighting guy and we sat down with the lighting guy at the Chelsea theater. None of us had ever lit a show, knew anything about lighting. And I'm trying to explain this kind of pale blue lighting that I wanted for the stage. And he kept getting it wrong and it kept kind of looking very plain, almost like a chemist, like a very like, like a super drug style lighting. And right. one of my friends, I remember he just said to the lighting guy, basically he wants it to look like who wants to be a millionaire, but for 200 quid. <laughs> and he went, Oh, I can do that. No problem. And then he just like created it. It was spot on, but that was kind of like, we didn't have a clue what we were doing, but it came together and it looked cool on the night. And I think that kind of, rawness of it was was what half of its charm i suppose yeah absolutely i, I it's a first right i think that yeah. um when we talk about first you can't ever replicate them um and no. that moment can you so that, that's kind of fun and you stayed on the artistic team obviously traveling around the world mm -hmm. and doing collections education and you stayed with them but in 2019 you left for Davines. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I began a, a kind of conversation with Daveness and I suppose kind of what everything I've said to you is I'm always been kind of wanting to move forward creatively. And, and I really, the only thing that, that I really care about is looking back at the end of my career and, and, and not have left anything in the tank, you know, not, not have thought, oh, maybe I could have, I wonder if I could have done that, or I wonder if I could have created that idea, or I wonder if I could have created that show, or I wonder if that, image would have worked um and and i felt like once i visited the, the daveness village in palmer and i began speaking to some of the people what i really loved is that everything that, that daveness stands for outwardly is 100 authentic all the way through you, you you speak to anyone and i know you, you you've kind of had probably some conversations with some people at daveness now and and maybe you've realized that as well, like the, the authenticity that runs through every aspect of, of what we do is, is so true. And, and I, I loved that. And I felt like if ever I was going to leave Trevor's, I would have to maybe start my own thing because I wouldn't find that authenticity that I had at Trevor's anywhere else. And I felt it straight away. And I was like, okay. And when, when they showed me this portraits of people concept of the new direction that wanted to go with the, her identity, I was like, this kind of, suits my aesthetic I, I love the products already because i use them and i like the ethos and what they stand for and i thought okay let's let's kind of take this this next step on on the creative journey i suppose the Davines, of course have their b corp certificate which yes. is all about their sustainability and the way in which they they recycle and all of this mm -hmm. stuff and i they're really uh, really really low their carbon footprint i mean it's it's mm -hmm. very very low and that they're still pushing for more. And I know that when I used um, View, and I was told that, you know, it breaks down, biodegradable breaks down after 28 days in the water. I couldn't believe that. In yes. sort of, that was just absolutely fascinating that uh, 
a color house, um, for me it's a color house, could do that um, and make that because so many product companies are, are talking about sustainability and doing pieces, but whereas Davines have done have gone the whole hog. Yeah, absolutely, and, it, and it's it's as you, as you say, it's it, the, the research and development that goes into those color products, and, and you're right to call it a color house because that that that's that that's what we are, and and it the, the the research, the development, and the the extra cost, time, and attention that goes into doing something like that means that what you what you say out, what you say outwardly, and what you stand for, and what you get out of bed to go into work for every day is true, and that's that's kind of a. a yeah, it's an amazing thing to 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 be a part of because you feel like you're part of more than something than just a kind of salary at the end of the month or a nice pretty photograph in my case. <laughs> well, we all like a nice pretty photograph, don't we? Yeah. And I want to talk to you about that in a minute. But I, I wanted to quickly touch on the village, of course, which I'm so gel. I mean, I've spoken to Ashley about this. She's been to the village. Mm. You've been to the village. I've seen videos of it. I mean, this is where it all happens in Palmer, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, the, this beautiful space, um, um, about an hour and a half from from uh, from Milan in Palmer, where we have the, the <coughs> all the Davenish products are made. We have the scientific garden. We've got academies. We've got beautiful bistro in the centre that brings the whole people together for lunch and, and dinner around the pond. It's it's a really really remarkable remarkable place. We I'm fortunate enough. In fact, this morning before we uh, before I began speaking to you, I've just booked my flights. So I go on Monday to uh, nice. to go over there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to spending the the week there again with. It's been an unusual big start to my time with Davines. I normally would have spent a much more time though than well, obviously with uh, without the pandemic um, coming in. But uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's a special place, and it's the, the way that they've designed it, the, the, the simple design, but the detail that's in it, it. It's it reflects the products when you when you pick them up. You know, they're not overly busy, but they they're, they're very well very well well designed, and that's what the space is. I'm sure when you go over and you do things in the academy rooms. Everything is designed for you to do your best work, you know, from the how tranquil it is for the, for the, for the from the pond to the way that the academy is designed. It's just, yeah, it's 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 very very well thought out. It's a beautiful space. If anyone if anyone's in Palmer, definitely go down and check it out. So I wanted to talk to you, Tom, about what you brought to the table with Davines because up until your arrival the the imagery was all very um we're not going to say creative what what was the word that you used earlier because it's all conceptual yeah and a, a lot of hairdressers love that love those, those kind of images and you brought something completely different to the table you brought something a little bit more commercial into the conversation mm -hmm. was that and that's just a natural flow for you i gather from the, our conversation right now uh yeah so i like to i like to kind of assess the 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 true needs of 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 the of Davines as a color house so i spent a lot of my first time with the company speaking to members of the community and finding okay what do you want from your color house because that those that you know you might you might um, be employed by Davines, but the clients are who you serve, the, the Davines yeah. customers. And, and so really, what, what do you want? What do you look for from Davines? And what I found was, was two things. You find some people that they want practical salon education. They want practical salon images. They want to see a beautiful image that 
looks like their client can engage with that person um, and understand that they, maybe you're not reinventing the wheel, but maybe you're just taking the client one step ahead and they want services that they can introduce to their client. But then I spoke to some people that said, okay, yeah, that's nice, but we have our training in, in salon. What we look for from Daviness is to be inspired. I want to be excited. The reason that we have Daviness in the salon is because we love the ethos and the story and the creativity of, of, the, of the company. So they are looking for, for conceptual and, and for inspiration. So when, when I looked at the, what we needed from our, from our photographic output, I think that's a lot to say within one collection. I it think you, really is a lot to say, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and then you don't see anything to the correct amount, right? It, it's not commercial enough. It's not creative enough. It's, you know, you, you can't fulfill the thing. So we decided to separate it, and we did a conceptual collection, a light, time, and color, which is it isn't meant to, to, to be – it could be executed on a client if your client was, was, was kind of quite open to that sort of things, but it's more meant to be an image. It's meant to provoke a response, like a piece of art, something that you may – hang on your wall in the salon to, to show what you can achieve when you use the Daviness Color products creatively, but more to provoke conversation, positive or negative, I think, because right. I think that's what any art should do. But then we had shadow prints and sculpture prints that are more of a lifestyle salon collection, something that you could show your client and add to your business commercially. And I think, you know, that's it frees you up creatively, as, as you know, that then you don't have to compromise on, on conceptual or, or commercial, but also whatever someone's looking for from Daviness as a customer or potential customer, we have the potential to, to deliver. And I think that was, it was a nice way to work. I think it's, it's a beautiful way to work. And you're right. If you try and do both and it ends up being a bit blah, right. And it can actually yeah. look a little bit old fashioned. Um, <laughs> so to be able to, harness the conceptual and then harness the the salon the commercial in separate categories and it still be part of one company is a really interesting way to approach it now i watched you talking not you i wasn't talking you i watched <laughs> you on video and i can't find the video on it it's really frustrating because i'd liked it and commented on it and you and ashley had recently done um a collection and it was a sand color and this sort of ocean green sort of it looked very much like the caribbean or somewhere so to these two colors together and normally if you talked about that within hair you would say that that was really jarring and that you don't see that within real life and you talked about the fact that this was actually something that was found in nature uh, and you showed the image of the two together which i just thought was beautiful but you had this really I think the first person I've ever heard, actually, um, and I can say that honestly, the first one I've ever heard that was able to talk about the a collection, a, a collection that was to inspire or to cause conversation in a really articulate way that made sense to me. Thank you. Yeah, it, it was um, the the look you're referring to, the Pacific Ocean Green, it, it, it came from the conceptual collection. As I said, that was something that was meant to, to, to be an image, to, to, to provoke a reaction. And um, what, what I always try to do is to, whatever colour you're working with, it can be the most vibrant colour or it can be the most muted colour. It has to be a refined version of it. And that's something that myself and I've worked with, with, with Ashley, um, 
since I began working with her is, okay, we can, you can do any color in a refined way. You know, whether it's, it might have a, a depth and a base, it might, might have a brunette base underneath it, and then you add the green. So it's got an earthiness to it. You know, that, that green that you mentioned, it was looking too artificial. It was looking, and I forget, forgive me for saying this, but a little bit too hairdressery image green at yes. one point. I'm sure you, you know what I mean by that. But, and then we had to add a little bit of red to the green to just drop it. And it, it just looked more refined. It looked more, more tasteful. So what we were looking for is, okay, let's look where these two colors are found in nature. And I don't think you would ever look at something that appeared organically and feel like the, that it was that it was clashing or jarring against each other. So he said, okay, let, let's look at this. And when we had seen an aerial picture of, of the Pacific Ocean, um, and I, I loved that, that, that green. Uh, I think it was a YSL image I'd, I'd seen. It was an advert for YSL. And it was an, it was an aerial shot of, of the Pacific Ocean. I said, I love that green. And I'd love to do something that was quite, quite solid, quite jarring. What color could we put next to it? And when I looked at that sand against the green in the aerial shot, I was like, this could, this could work because a refined green and a, and a very kind of refined, like kind of sandy beige could work together on the right head with the right shape. And, and, and it kind of, but that, I suppose, it takes like a while to do. We had to, to kind of, we had to do that over, I suppose, six week period. Six weeks period to get to get the color where you wanted it to. Yes, to get the color where I wanted it to, to get the shape, the balance, to get everything to feel like the composition. Because I suppose with that image, you, you, you're treading on a tightrope of bad taste. Like one step off, you're you're in you're in really bad taste. So, and I think, but I think when you play in the edges, when you're just about to go into bad taste and you stop, that's kind of where some interesting things are. But it takes a while to. There's a few prototypes of it that, that did step over so yeah i i just love that explanation that's brilliant and i actually love the imagery for it too i thought it's it's and when i heard you talking about it that's when it sort of made sense to me and it clicked it was it was just really clever i thought thanks thank you so what's next for you tom what so obviously you're going off to palmer on monday lucky you yeah, so we we just shot a, a capsule collection of the previous two collections. So that the previous two commercial collections, Shadow Prints and Sculpture Prints, we just shot a capsule version of them. So we took the salon services, the, the sculpt toning um, and the shadowing, and we kind of ran with those a little bit more. And we, we created a 12-shot collection of, of really pushing further on a couple of models what can we do done with these salon services so that's going to come out in around august and then part of the reason i'm going to italy on um on monday is that um we're planning the next collection shoot and we're going to shoot in palma we're going to shoot at the village and the garden and we're going to shoot in and around palma in the the, the wilds in the city and we've got a really nice um commercial portrait but also editorial story that we're going to shoot to, to really show the kind of heritage and beauty of of the the, the the surroundings that Daveness comes from. I'm looking forward to seeing that one. That's going to be great. Now, brilliant that we're able to start traveling again uh, into some degree for work and hopefully more things will open up. Mm-hmm. But you also continually work on projects on your own at home, pushing mm-hmm. boundaries with texture and hair and all those things that, mm-hmm. that 
will maybe resonate with the hairdressing community. What, what, what kind of things are you up to on just on your own? Um, so I've got, I've working on two projects at the moment. So I'm working on, I, I saw a photograph of um, Linda Evangelista, assuming it was kind of her early 90s. And she, she had like a, she had a head bandana on with all of her hair out of the back of the head bandana. And right. something really interested in that shape. So I've been tracing that shape and figuring out a few, few colors and a few cuts that could kind of, when I see something like that, I think if it's pretty, it's pretty because of the shape. It doesn't need to be a head bandana. It could be her that's sitting in that shape. And I'm, so I'm exploring that a little bit more um, and I've shot a few tests of it. So I'm going to follow through with that a little bit more. And I've got a few kind of editorial stories I'm working on for, for different magazines. So it's, I find that that kind of, and you, you'll probably find this as well, it, it, one feeds the other, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Um, they definitely feed each other. It's interesting that you keep yourself busy with this virtually 24-7 with hair all the time, yeah? Yeah, I don't kind of... Um, I, I kind of try and, I try and have a balance for a certain amount of time. As you said, you can, you can get burnt out a little bit. But when it's time to work on a collection, whether it be a personal collection or it be a collection for Daviness, I'll set like a time limit. So normally about six weeks out, then I'll kind of flip the switch. And then it's, that's the only thing I think about. Like, yeah. I don't want to know about sport. I don't want to know who's texting me. I just think about that collection. And I kind of, I feel like a collection, <clears throat> so it's got layers and it goes beyond like the aesthetic. You know, it's nice to have something that looked pretty, but so it resonates and people remember it. I think it needs to have like layers of inspiration. So I feel like to do that, you need to like feed a collection. So Something as basic as if I was thinking of a collection that had a 70s feel to it, for example, I would only listen to 70s music. I would only watch 70s films. I would only watch 70s documentaries so that the chances are I will see something or I'll notice something and I think that would work for the collection. That'll work for the... And it, so you're kind of feeding it all the time and then when you're doing it and you're coming up with things or you're writing the information about it or creating the videos, those things kind of come into come into play a little bit so yeah I'm, I'm i'm gonna kind of have a little bit of time just collecting a few ideas and then turn that switch for the next collection in a in a few weeks time so you completely immerse yourself in the project yeah yeah there's kind of it's it's and nothing else kind of exists in that time just because i think that's kind of yeah, the only way the only way I enjoy doing it and the only way I can do it and the only way I feel like I can do it to the to 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 kind of get the correct result for for Daviness. That's amazing. There is there's this huge conversation going on in the industry at the moment about um and it's really interesting. I was speaking to Leslie Jennison in another episode and you know her commitment and you're talking about your commitment and the hours that we put into it. Mm. And there's this huge conversation in the industry about burnout and about not doing stuff and sort of you know the the, the balance mm -hmm. in life and I find balance quite hard personally I'm either in it or I'm not mm -hmm. and um, and I sort of throw myself into my projects do you get lost in it because I know that you said that you set a time limit so six weeks and then that switch goes off mm -hmm. do you stick to that yeah yeah I really do I, I don't like 
I kind of always liken it to, um, I'll say it to my wife a few times, I, I liken it to, you should never be like a flickering light bulb. I think that's what leads to burnout, where you're a bit right. doing your emails and you're a bit doing with your family and you're a bit with your friends and then you, oh, I need to sort that, that model out <clears> for that thing next week. That's when, because that's a stressful way to work and I think that can lead to burnout. But if you if you quite like separate with your time as in like, right, now it's family time. Now it's friend time. Now it's exercise and working out time or whatever it is that you do for, for personal time. But then when it's time to sw- turn the switch, it's work time. I feel for me personally, that's how the healthiest way I've found to, to work. So I'm not that flickering light bulb that's either on or it's off. Yeah, um, I like that. I really like that explanation for it too. Do you find that you do? Sorry, Jack. Do you find that you, because you're you're very busy, kind of with with lots of different projects, I imagine, all over the place. So, do you find that, that I'm assuming you've got to be very disciplined with your time to make sure that you give the right attention to everything, right? I, I try to be disciplined with my time. Mm-hmm. I what I've found is if I if I get a little bit haywire, um, everything just is just like blah and I hate it all. So what I try to do is I try to dedicate time to me and my personal self in the morning before I start anything. So that I work out every morning mm-hmm. at the weekend. And then I try and dedicate some evenings to seeing some friends or something like that. But kind of the phone is on a lot mm-hmm. with stuff going on. But I've also recognized that I can't be messaging people at 10 o'clock at night with like, oh, I've just had this idea. I have to respect <laughs> other people's boundaries too. Yeah. Um, and so voice notes aren't going out as much anymore. Um, and also, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's been easier for me because my partner is sort of one month here, one month in the States, one month here. So I've got this whole month where it could be sort of like me yes. and everything I want to do. And then when he gets here, I've got a week while he's jet lagged that I can do <laughs> all of that. And then I've got a, like three weeks where I've really got to kind of say, let's go out for dinner. Let's let's go enjoy mm-hmm. each other. Let's be us. Um, so I do have to, I have to be aware of the fact that I need to look after the other parts of my life as well. Yeah, I think that's a, a good, healthy way to be. And, it, and I suppose if the end goal is to be the best hairdresser that you can be, that's the best way to do it, right? Because then that's how you're going to be a good hairdresser for a longer period of time because you've found that health and balance. Yeah, I want to be the best version of myself, if possible. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And there are days when I undoubtedly fail. <laughs> on that and there are days when i'm like oh that wasn't that wasn't a bad day jack that's okay um but you know in the failure i always kind of want to have a look at that and kind of see whether was that a failure because i hadn't added the commitment to it and the energy to it or was that a failure and it was just a learning curve um so i try not to beat myself up too much about it yeah good i like it tom thank you so much i know that you've got a busy afternoon thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and um, I look forward to seeing you in the flesh at some point. Yeah, yeah, pleasure. Thanks for the invite. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, really nice conversation there. Thank you for taking the time and talking with us. Cheers. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it for you. Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcasts from. iTunes is my favorite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R, the American way, not the English way. And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolor, C-O-L-O-R.com. Hold up. 